If you have your Bibles or a phone with a Bible app or bring it up on your, on your computer, uh, you can bring up Ecclesiastes chapter 8. That is the chapter of scripture that we are in this morning. We're going to go through uh, go through it at a bit of a breakneck pace. And so before we get into it, let's have a, well, first a little bit of an introduction, and then uh, we'll give some time for you to read it at home. Um, I'm not sure if any of you have realized this, but life is very complicated. <laughs> that's, you know, that's an understatement. Um, but I think that the more you live, the more, uh, the more complicated life the more, the more you realize that life is just, just really complicated. It's complex, it's difficult, and it's hard to navigate all the, all the different complexities. In Ecclesiastes, as, as well as in other books of Scripture, especially the wisdom literature, there's this teaching that consist, consistently comes up about how to position ourselves to enter into those complexities that gives us perspective to be able to get through those difficulties, those hard seasons, those situations in life that we say, These, this is so complex and I just don't know what to do. In a word, this book and books like it in, in other parts of scripture are trying to teach us wisdom. They're trying to teach us how we can live wisely in God's good world. And oftentimes that means um, wisely dealing with difficult people. Part of the complexity in life is relational. It's, it's what do we do when, when we have difficult people around us who make living exceptionally hard? Well, we're going to get into that today, specifically with regard to, um, with kings and bosses. That's the thrust of, that's the thrust of this chapter. And it will teach us a little bit about you know how do we apply wisdom uh, in 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 various contexts but it will also teach us that you know what there's a there's a limitation to our wisdom and that we need to lean on the wisdom of of someone who isn't us so let's read the chapter we'll give a couple of minutes i think 3 minutes should be enough to get through most of this chapter and if you don't get through it all that's okay you can go back and read through it again later this week. Um, and you know, if you read it out loud once a day, that's a pretty good way to memorize at least key parts of the text um, and to fill your mind with the beauty of God's word. So I submit that to you if you want to do that, if you want to have more of God's word in your mind throughout the rest of the, the week, every day, just commit to reading through the this chapter and any chapter, really, of scripture out loud at least once. And do that every day, and you'll be surprised how much of it you remember by doing that. Well, that all being said, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We'll give three minutes, and then we'll pull out some application for our lives for this week. Ready? Set? There we go. Well, how much did you get through? Put in the put in the comments if you are able to complete it or not. That will give me a sense of maybe uh, how much time to give during those those countdowns. Um, but I hope you were able to get through um, at least 
well, I hope you got through all of it. But if not, hopefully you got close to the end. We're going to really spend a, the better portion of our time together in the first couple of verses, in the first eight verses, really. Those first eight verses talk about um, talk about wisdom and, and sort of helps us to see that wisdom is really important, but not just that it's important, it's actually how you use wisdom that's also important. It starts out, who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? And the, the implication is, well, the wise do. The wise know how to explain things. A person, a person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. There is something about wisdom that just makes life easier. Wisdom just makes life easier. If you know the wise thing to do, your life becomes easier because of because of that knowledge. So this is what really the 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 the, the book of Ecclesiastes has been sort of toying with, um, but but toying with it in in a sort of uh, the realm of perspective. It wants to give us Solomon wants to give us a particular perspective about what reality is actually like. That life isn't just about the here and now, that is, life under the sun, but that there's a greater reality out there. There's a physical world and there's a spiritual world, and there is life under the sun and life above it, that is, life in heaven. And he wants us to see that that reality is massive and complex, and that we can understand parts of it, and also that we can't understand a lot of it. Which should give us the perspective to be able to deal with situations in, um, in, in particular ways sometimes, but even more so deal with situations with wisdom, and wisdom given to us by God. So in these first couple of verses, um, coming after this, we see maybe the most difficult kinds of situations that there may have been in the ancient world. And that's any situation where you had to deal with a king. Kings in the ancient world were the law. What they said was literally the law. It is what they said went. And um, you couldn't argue with it. It was just they spoke. It was the law. It was what was. And so to engage in a conversation with a king um, and have them pronounce something over you was was pretty serious we see this with God as well um, I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this but God speaks his commandments doesn't just write them down as, as sort of law in stone but he speaks them there's something there's something to this idea of our speech being um, our speech binds us in a, in a sense and that's certainly true of kings in the ancient world they have absolute power by their word. By their very speaking, they have power. It's no surprise then that scripture says that that, um, that creation was created by God's word, by God's speaking. So how do we relate to the king? And you know, we don't really have, well, we have kings in our world. We don't really relate to kings that often though. Any of you ever met a king? Raise your hand so all, everyone can see. Just kidding. We don't have them, right? Like, the, the, there's, no, there's no sense of kingship anymore. Although we do have a culture where everyone 
thinks they are a king or queen, where everyone thinks that they can have a kingdom that they have ultimate authority over. So maybe this text will actually be able to speak to us in that. What do we do in those situations? What do we do for bosses who, in the context of our jobs, our boss's word is the law of our workplace? What do we do? How do we engage with that, with that person? Well, this text says something immediately. It says, obey the king's commands. Be obedient. You took an oath before God to do it. Obey the king's command. In the ancient world, you would take an oath in service to the king, in service, uh, a, a, an oath of faithfulness, an oath that said, I will, I will serve you and I will only serve you essentially. And you do that if you were an Israelite before the Lord. Well, because you made an oath before the Lord, you had to fulfill it. We don't often do that now. Maybe in courts of law, um, that's where the closest we get to. But you know what we do have is contracts, which are sort of like oaths. It's sort of it's sort of saying I will be faithful to the the obligations set within this document. I will I will be held responsible to it, and I will live by it. We don't have oaths, we have contracts, and so obey your king's commands because you signed a contract, you made an oath. And so you have to be obedient to, to those who are in positions of authority over you in so much as their authority doesn't conflict with the authority of God. This should make this passage, I hope that gives a little bit of perspective to make this passage wildly applicable. Because everyone has situations, I think, where, especially in workplaces, where your boss says something and you just disagree. You just don't want to do it. And this passage says, well, you know what? You made an oath. And because you're a Christian, you made an oath in front of God to be able to, 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 to uh, fulfill these obligations. Um, to use the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If, if you said yes to an obligation, fulfill the obligation. How do you go about obeying those commands of the king? How do you go about doing it? And this is where I think this passage starts to get pretty interesting. First off, I'm just pulling up my notes here on my computer. First off, the passage says, don't be in a hurry, right? Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Don't be in a hurry. And what Solomon is trying to get at is that sometimes we can go into situations and we make assumptions about what other people want. So they start to tell us what they want and we go, okay, I think that they're going from A to B to C to D. And we half listen, we go away, do the work we think that they want us to do. And then we come back and realize, well, we missed a couple of things. 
that they wanted us to do. They miss, we, we, we misunderstood what they were saying because we didn't listen carefully enough. We didn't stop and pay attention. And so Solomon says, you know what? It's just wise. It's a wise thing to do when you're dealing with a king to not be in a hurry to leave and go do the thing that you think that they want. Make sure that you know, and it's going to save you a lot of grief from a lot of grief. But also don't stand up for a bad cause. That is, don't provoke them. A king can do whatever they want to do. So why provoke them? Why, why engage in that recipe for disaster? If we stand up for a cause that's bad, what we're actually saying is, uh, what, the, what I think that actually means is standing up in such a way that it seems that we oppose the king or oppose our boss. There may be times where that's where that's appropriate. But I think most of the time, generally speaking, um, standing up for a bad cause, trying to show that we oppose our bosses, our, our kings, uh, that's just not a good, that's not a, that's not something that's going to bring us blessing in life. It's not a wise way of engaging in work or fulfilling our obligations that we agree to. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? That's just the point. Who can say to them, what are, what are they doing if they are the ones in authority? Doing that is just an invitation to, to well, an invitation to disaster, an invitation for our bosses to maybe look at us with a bit of suspicion and say, I don't know if you're on my side. And this is important, especially when bosses make bad decisions. I'm not sure if you've ever been in this situation, but if your boss has ever made a bad decision, the thing that they need after that are people who they can trust to help them get out of the bad, the bad decision, to help them overcome it and to move past it. And if your boss doesn't trust you, guess what? That if they're not, they're not, going to trust you to help them get through it. And oftentimes it will just lead to more bad decisions because they're not going to trust that what you have to say is for their good. But if you're a believer in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you should be for their good. And what Solomon's trying to say is that, you know what, if you live wisely, the king is going to trust you. If you live wisely and shrewdly um, like Joseph in the Old Testament, the king is going to trust you. And there are things that you can do to that, 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 that wisdom shows when it's applied will help with that building of trust. And so what are those things? It goes into it in the next couple of verses. In the middle of verse 5, the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. There is a proper time and procedure to do things. There's a right way to do something, and there's also the right time to do it. And wisdom teaches us when those are. Because there's also, you can do the right thing at the wrong time, 
and it will end up being, you'll end up being wrong. And you can also do the wrong thing at the right time and do a lot of damage. Our goal should always be to do the right thing at the right time. To do what is righteous, acting rightly at the time that the situation is most open to being directed towards righteousness. And that takes wisdom and experience and trial and error in a lot of cases to be able to figure out exactly how to do that. But if we do it well, if we do the right thing at the right time, and we do it consistently, and, and people know that that's what we're trying to do, that's what we're striving for, even if we fail from time to time, it shows that, especially to our bosses, to the king in Solomon's case, it shows that we are with them, that we want to support them, that we love and care for them, that we want to see the best for them. And that builds trust and it will get through, get us through these difficult situations in life. How do we know though, what to do when the proper time is and what the proper procedure is? Wisdom. It's knowing. And it's not just knowing what to do. It's also knowing our limitations. Um, in, in different situations that, that we know way less than we think. We don't know the future. It talks about in verse 7, no one knows the future. Who can tell what is to come? So let's not try even to, to, to tell the future. Like, no one knows it. So what's the point? I love the fact, especially this year, I'm not sure if... If, if any of you have thought about this, but did you think in your sort of a couple of years ago, if you thought, where am I going to be five years from now, it would be uh, socially isolated in the midst of a global pandemic? Did anyone have that on their bingo cards? I didn't. It's, 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 we don't know the future. So why do we pretend to? Wisdom says, you know what, you have a limitation. And the limitation is you don't know the future and you can't know it. And so when you want to do the right thing at the right time, first off, know the limitation. You cannot tell the future. All you know is what's immediately in front of you and what has happened previously. And maybe that will direct you towards, towards righteousness in the future. But we don't know the future, so let's not try to tell it. But we also have less power than we think. No one has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has the power over the time of their death. No one has power over the wind to contain it. We do not have the power that we think we have. We can't control as much as we think we can. No one is discharged in a time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. Um, we, we, we are way less in control than we think, and we have way less power over this world than we think. And we think that we have full autonomy, but we're, we're stuck in, we're, we're often uh, enslaved to our sin, enslaved to our hearts that draw us away from God and, to war, and, and, and towards evil. In a lot of cases, we have less control than we think. 
But knowing that is freeing because it allows us to see that, okay, if we, if we know less than we think we know, if we have less power than we think, and if we have less control than we think, then we don't have to know everything. We don't have to be the people who have the most power in any given situation. And we don't have to control everything. All we have to do is the righteous thing at the right time. And that's all we're called to. But we still need wisdom to do it. We need even more wisdom. And so the book of James in the New Testament talks about this. It talks about God giving wisdom abundantly. And I'm just going to turn to it quickly to read you a very short passage. If I can find it. There it is. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But here's the caveat. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We should always ask for wisdom. And if we ask for wisdom and we believe that God is going to give us wisdom because he has promised us to, he certainly will. But if we say, Lord, give us wisdom, and then immediately and then immediately say, well, you know what? If I just work through this even harder, and if I try to gain control of this situation even more, and if I try to lean on my own understanding, then maybe I'll get through this situation James says, you know what, the Lord's, you're double-minded. The Lord's not going to give you the wisdom that you're asking for because you're just trying to use him as a slot machine. Just trying to get something from him instead of submitting yourself to him. Now, this is interesting, right? Because Jesus is, is, is our king. God is our king. And so how do we treat that king? Just based on this passage, how do we treat that king? There's going to be questions at the end of the, um, at the, end of the, the video service that you can work through that question a little bit more. Because I think it's really indicative of how we relate to Jesus. This passage has a lot to teach us about how we can relate to Jesus better. Um, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. As the one who has the right and ability to direct the course of our lives by his word, by his command. James says, ask for wisdom, and it will be given to you. But don't be double-minded about it. Ask for wisdom and believe you're going to get it, and you certainly will receive it. But, you, but this passage, Ecclesiastes, goes one step further and says, you know what? Even wisdom has its limits under the sun. Even in this world today, wisdom has its limits in a fallen world. And he gives all sorts of examples of places where uh, Solomon says he applied wisdom to try to understand the world. And there are all these things that, that came up that he just can't make sense of. Wicked people die and at their funeral, their wickedness is forgotten. And you see this again and again and again. Somebody who 
who very obviously sinned and was wicked, passes away, and at their funeral, everyone just speaks well of them. Basically glossing over their wickedness, ignoring it for the time being. He says that is a that is a meaningless, it's a vapor. There's also uh when when somebody is guilty of a crime, their penalty is slow in coming. It doesn't get it doesn't it doesn't get carried out quickly. And he says that's just a vapor. Somebody can break God's law a thousand times and see a reward for it. Whereas the righteous just see hardship in life and it's a vapor the righteous are rewarded with what the wicked deserve and the wicked get rewarded with what the righteous deserve all these examples solomon pulls out in verses 9 through 15 but he says you know what this is not going to last and actually, he says pretty clearly, this is not going to go well for them. <laughs> because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well for them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There's going to be a time where they're going to answer for their wickedness. And we, we, if we think of life just under the sun, there is a certain sort of meaninglessness to everything that Solomon's describing. But if life is more than life just under the sun then we can know that there's still a reward that is coming for the righteous, even if they don't experience it under the sun. That there's a reward coming, and that the, the, the wicked will receive their just reward for the wickedness that they live. The penalty for crimes is slow to be carried out, but it will certainly be carried out. And even after the funerals of the wicked where their sins and their wickedness are forgotten, there will be a time when that wickedness is not just remembered, but revealed for all for what it is. We read about that in Revelation. It's all those things. They're just meaningless. They're vapors. They don't last forever. And we can know, and, and it gives it. It gives us a perspective for difficulties and hardships in life. It doesn't all last forever. If you're in a difficult situation in life today, it doesn't last forever. It's it's it doesn't feel like it now. But over time, I hope you gain the perspective of seeing that it was just a vapor. But even so. Difficulties and hardships does not have to steal your joy. God gives us good gifts and he gives us the ability to enjoy them. And so Solomon writes in verse 15, I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of life. God has given them under the sun. Um, in our culture, I think we have uh, connected joy with happiness. And it's not very helpful because joy is different than happiness. 
joy transcends circumstances whereas happiness is all about the here and the now and it can be here one second and be gone the next joy is different joy is choosing to live life with a very specific perspective of saying god is giving me gifts and he's giving me the, the ability to enjoy them and so that's what i am going to do it's essentially choosing a life of gratitude rather than bitterness a a a, a choice to live in gratitude of god's grace grace and, and kindness for us rather than bitterness at life under the sun and so when hardship comes that choice can have a really profound effect on just how we experience life even if we choose if we pre-choose to experience all of life as a gift from god that changes how we experience suffering even because then even in the midst of of suffering and and hardship and difficult circumstances we can still experience the joy of receiving good gifts from our father it, we may not be happy but joy and happiness are not the same thing you can be joyful and mourning you can be joy-filled while crying in sadness you can be joy-filled and happy and you can be joy-filled and confused <laughs> like joy joy transcends all these other categories but it starts with that choice will i will i thank god today for all he has given me that's the starting point and then it works out from there as we as we develop relationship with god and continue to experience the good gifts that he gives us now, fascinatingly solomon the preacher ends this ends this uh, chapter basically by saying you know what no one can understand any of these things life is essentially ununderstandable if you dig in and try to understand the bits and pieces of life you're just going to end up frustrated only god in his providence can make sense of our world and there are some things that god will help us to know but there's a whole lot of other things that it's just we're not we're not meant to we can't comprehend or discover the fullness of reality in our condition and we need wisdom uh, in life from one who who does know our condition who does know everything about this world and everything in it and this is what happens when we follow jesus when we follow jesus we get a lord and savior who knows everything who created the world as the uh, by his word who who is who was there at the beginning of creation who was there when we were formed and 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 shaped who was there throughout history guiding history towards its fulfillment and who 
in the incarnation became one of us to be able to take on our sin on the cross and take on the penalty of our sin um, away from us in his own flesh and raise again to new life and then invite us into the new life that he experiences. And that we'll, we'll certainly experience with him by faith, beginning now and continuing into the culmination of history. This Jesus, through his teaching, gives us wisdom to, uh, to, to participate in this world wisely, to navigate the difficulties of life. He is our king, giving us commands to obey. He is our king, who we are called to submit to. He is our life leader. He's our life boss who says, this is how I want you to live. And if we're following him, if we say, we follow you, Jesus, then we do what he says. We don't sit back and question his decisions and we don't hurry past him and don't get the, the content and the, 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 the full understanding of maybe what he's trying to teach us. We sit with him, we hear his word, and then we do what he says. That's what it means to be a disciple. And if we do that, our future is secure, as well as our future reward. So I don't know where you are in life today or what type of situations that you're dealing with. But I do know that Jesus gives us wisdom in his teaching and that whatever your situation God promises to give you wisdom if you ask for it. And so I'd like to do that for you this morning. Uh, to pray that you would have wisdom and that we would have wisdom. To know the proper time and procedure to do things. To confess our limitations and the things that we just don't know. And, um, and in doing that, we commit things into God's hand. To deal with as he sees fit. But as part of that, our prayer is that he would grant us wisdom to be able to live faithfully in this world, to hear his word and then do what it says. And so whatever your situation today, I pray that God would give you wisdom for it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we uh, gather around your word this morning, we recognize, Jesus, that you are our king. And that your word says to obey the king's commands. Father, I pray that you would help us not to hurry past Jesus this week. That you would keep us in his presence to be able to hear his word. So that we would know what, what to do. Because we have heard what he has to say. We repent of the times where we would want to correct Jesus, when we want to correct you, who knows everything where we know nothing. Heavenly Father, help us to know all that we don't know. And help us to see our limitations in life so that we can, uh, so that we can live wisely 
help us to see the right time to do the right thing in whatever situations we face. Teach us the ways of your righteousness, Father. And I pray for all the difficult situations that, that each of um, the people listening in today may be facing. I pray that, that well, I, I just commit their situations to you and place them in your hands and in your care as the God who knows the future, who knows all of history, and who cares for each and every one of those people, not just the, the well, every, everyone in the situations, every single person involved. I pray that your, your righteousness would be made known by the way that your children act and live in those situations. Help them to be people who show your love and grace to others through their wise working in the world. And Father, I pray that you would give us each wisdom for the difficulties that we face this in, the, in these coming days. Help us, Father, well, steady, steady us. Help us to not be double-minded. But Father, uh, we ask that you would deepen our trust in you and your promise for increased wisdom. I pray this especially for our, our leadership as, as we discern this offer for sale on our building. Give us wisdom in discerning what your good and perfect will for our church is so that we can share that with our congregation. And, and, and as we hear your voice in that, we will be able to do what you are telling us to do. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen.